Good morning. It's great to see you guys. Welcome to Calvary. Uh, some of you know Josh and Anna, and actually uh, Josh's sister Sarah, they are in Iwakuni this morning serving the Lord up there, leading in worship, and uh, Josh is teaching. So Genoa and his brother and Yudi uh, got to lead worship for the first time. They did a great job, didn't they? Praise the Lord. And with the ukulele. <laughs> and he's running away. All right, praise the Lord. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you guys for your prayers for me when I was out uh, sick last Sunday. Uh, I, I tested negative for COVID. I took two tests, so uh, science proved what my wife says. I'm just a negative person, so anyways, uh, just joking. Uh, I think I had the dreaded man flu. That's what I think I had. I, uh, I had COVID last year, and, and this time it, felt, it just felt like the regular flu or just a really bad head cold. Uh, and so I was wondering, do people still get regular sick? I was talking to Brent, like, I told him, I said, I, I think I'm going to bring back regular sick to 2022. So anyways, <laughs> and uh, very grateful for Rich, uh, Pastor Rich that was here in perfect timing, as he mentioned. Uh, and I thought, man, of all the times to get sick, having uh, a substitute already lined up was a great timing. So anyways, uh, I hope that you're encouraged last Sunday. I have uh, some, a couple of fun events that we or we have coming up, I should say, that I want to just let you be aware of and wanted to highlight before we get to our morning's portion. Uh, the first is just, I guess, a mix of an apology and an announcement. We were, we were really hoping to do a married couple's dinner event this month, maybe even next month, uh, but because we're still in what Japan's calling the quasi-state of emergency with COVID and, of course, cases are still happening... And uh, with restricted access to the base, we're going to hold off until things open up. But what we still wanted to do was to help foster fellowship and community. So we are going to be doing another round of open hearts and open homes dinners. And it's a great way to meet other folks in the church, uh, get to share a meal and some time of fun together. And so in March coming up, we're going to have them back-to-back Saturdays, and there are sign-up sheets downstairs. You, the way that it works, I think most of you know, is if you would like to be a part of this, you just fill out your name and your family's name and any allergies you might have and let us know if you would like to be a guest and or if you'd like to host. And if you'd like to host, you can let us know like how many you think your capacity is for adults and kids. Uh, it's good to maybe even jot down if you have a dog or a cat, those kind of things, so we can uh, be aware of that. And then we basically just kind of be uh, serve as a catalyst to put together these different groups, uh, you know, just together and have a great time and hanging out and eating and fellowshipping. And so uh, I want to encourage you to sign up for that and be a part of that. It's always a great time. So that's going to be happening uh, in um, two Sundays, or two, excuse me, two Saturdays in March, Okay. Uh, I think that was the the main announcement, just a thank you for those of you who were able to participate in the children's ministry meeting yesterday. If you missed out, make sure you see Renee, and she can get you the information that you might need. All right, well, let's jump right to it. If you have your Bible this morning, turn to Hebrews chapter 12 with me. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11 this morning. If you need to borrow a Bible, you can raise your hand right high in the air, and Don will be happy to let you borrow one that we have here at church. Again, Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to retread a little bit. We 
covered verses 5 and 6 somewhat two weeks ago, but we're going to back up a little bit just to help keep context. And we'll start at verse 5, and then we'll make our way to verse 11 this morning. I entitled our message, Divine Discipline. Divine Discipline. It was either spiritual spankings or uh, deliberating between the two. So, All right. Well, if you're there, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we like to do, just in honor of God and His Word. The author writes, starting at verse 5, You've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. He quotes from Proverbs 3. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor to be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. The writer then adds, so if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate, and you're not sons. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them. But, here's a contrast, but God, he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. All right, we'll stop there and let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning in the name, the privilege, really because of Jesus. And Lord, we're grateful that we can come into your presence, as your word reminds us that we were once afar off, but now we've been brought near. Lord, we were once lost, but now we're found. Your word says that we were once dead, In our trespasses and sins, we were spiritually dead. And yet, because of Christ, we have been made alive. We've been quickened in our spirit, and we thank you for that. Lord, we were once children of wrath, walking according to this, the course of this world and the pattern and the standards of this world. But Lord, you came and you adopted us, and you brought us into your family, and And Lord, we we marvel at your love that we would be called the children of God. And Lord, we get to experience then the fullness of your love as your kids. To be forgiven. To receive grace. Lord, to receive all that we need for this life and holiness. And, And Lord, as we'll be reminded this morning, that includes your loving discipline. God, I pray that our hearts and our minds will be open to your truth. Lord, that we'll be able to understand and appreciate those times in our lives where you bring correction. And so we commit our time of study to you now. We ask and pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you take a moment, say hello to someone, and then you can have a seat.
So yes, today we're, uh, we're going to talk about spiritual spankings. I know in many circles today, uh, you have to be careful when you talk about how uh, you might discipline your children or how children are disciplined. Uh, I grew up in a time where your parents could spank you anywhere, pretty much for any reason, at the grocery store, on the way to the car, and no one cared. Uh, no one was calling, uh, you know, Child Protective Services. And, uh, and I got all forms of discipline. I got scolded. I got soap. I got my mom's chanclas. Uh, I got my dad's belt on many occasions. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I was a bad kid. <laughs> when, when, when Christy and I became parents, uh, our, our methods modified a bit but we still uh, had an arsenal, we still had a variety of, of methods that we used to discipline our kids when they were disobedient, when they got out of line. You know, little smacks on the hand where they were young and don't touch and these things. Uh, uh, little harder smacks on the bottom when they got older. Uh, verbal words of, of various intensities and decibels at times. Um, and, and just the gamut, restrictions, groundings, extra chores, and, and yes, even uh, when needed, we applied the, uh, the board of education to the seat of understanding, right? So, and, and I imagine maybe your kids or you and your siblings, like my kids, they, they, all, they all took it differently too. Noah, uh, Noah basically took it as a man. He, he just kind of knew, yep, he's guilty, he's ready, all right, let's get it done with, uh, you know, uh, just quick and get it over with. That was his, uh, his methodology. My daughter, Rebecca, was the negotiator. She would plead for mercy. Uh, she would like, try to bargain with me and uh, promise, you know, I won't do it again and these things. And, and then she was the squirmer. She would never sit still, uh, you know, just always moving around. Um, and then Nehemiah, Nehemiah, my son, he, he would hide uh, the paddle and then he would go and hide himself. And so... It would be like a hide-and-seek of both, uh, you know, trying to, you know, discipline him and then go find him to discipline him. And, and then our youngest, some of you guys know who is our biggest, Ben. Uh, ben was born without any pain receptors. So uh, we had no idea if it stung when we swung. Uh, and, and there was even an occasion where uh, we tell this story where Christy spanked him with the paddle. And, and afterwards, he looked up at her and he said, is that all you got? And so... <laughs> Uh, I, you know, she's better than I, she refrained herself, but, uh, you know, I, I'm sure we all have stories about how our parents disciplined us, or perhaps us as parents, how we've uh, disciplined our, our own children. Again, I think uh, by today's standards, my, my parents, you know, might have gotten a phone call or been in jail, but um, here in this section, as we read in Hebrews, the author brings us into this, uh, this subject, uh, really a spiritual truth that I would contend that oftentimes is ignored, uh, maybe even avoided, and yet it's vital for our growth as followers of Jesus Christ. It's the, a spiritual truth of God's discipline and how it shows up in our life and, and really the, the purpose for it. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. I draw your attention back to verse 5 and 6 as we've read before, we reread. The author, again, he's reminding the 
Hebrew Christians of something important. He says, you've forgotten the exhortation that speaks to you as sons. And I think I could take liberty here to say, even as daughters, as children of God. He quotes from the Old Testament, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. And the reason why, because the Lord loves you. The Lord loves, uh, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son he receives. Now, if you were with us two weeks ago, we talked in general about the suffering and, and some of the purposes of suffering. Uh, we we made mention that everyone experiences pain. Everyone goes through some form of, of suffering or you know, another, and I imagine, tries to make sense of it. Why is this happening to me? What did I do? What's the reason for these things? And for us as followers of Christ, we have this advantage in one way that the Bible tells us very plainly, that suffering is a part of life, even as followers of Jesus Christ. In many ways, it's an integral part of our life. It's a birthright, if you will, of the Christian. Jesus suffered in his humanity, and gang, you and I will suffer too. The Bible tells us very plainly. The Hebrew Christians to whom this letter was written were going through some painful stuff. And a lot of it was because they had become Christians. They had left their old religious life and they left their community to follow this new way of worship. They came into a relationship with God by placing faith in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ as their Lord, as their Savior. And by doing so, this created a lot of tension. This created drama and trouble with their friends, their family, their neighbors, their community. Uh, who were opposed to that. And we talked before, some of you, maybe you can relate to that. As you've followed the Lord, it's created tension with your friends and family and uh, you know, people that were part of your old life, if you will. Well, that trouble caused them to, at times, question whether they made the right decision or not. And it tempted some of them to go back to their old life. And so the author writes to them to tell them and to encourage them, don't go back. You have nothing to go back to. The road of faith can be rough at times, but Jesus is faithful. He is greater than anything else that you have ever pursued and anything else in life. So there's nothing really to go back to. And when things get rough and tough, and they do, the writer then exhorts them, to continue to press into the Lord. Look to Jesus. He is your example. He's promised to lead us to victory. And so there are times where we will feel weak and deflated and worn out and defeated. And the writer says, let Jesus become your enabler because he's promised you to carry you and me to the finish line. And so don't quit. And so we were reminded that that the pain we experience always has a purpose. God purposes pain and suffering to be a means to draw us closer to Him, to strengthen our faith, that we might see the Lord in greater ways. Now, 
not all difficulties are discipline. Not, not all the things that we experience in life and suffer through life are necessarily disciplinary from the Lord, but they can still be served by the Lord. The Lord still has a purpose for them, and sometimes it's, it's just for revelation, to grow our faith. You go back to the Old Testament and you read through the book of Job, and you realize that, man, Job got rocked hard in his life. He suffered tremendously. His family passed away. He lost all his life savings. His livestock was destroyed. And you read through and you want to find out what was his crime. What, what did he do that was so uh, you know, egregious that this would happen to him? What was his great sin that brought upon this great suffering? And the answer is, well, there was none. We don't read of any. And even when his friends come, that's their contention. Well, you must have done something because God wouldn't have brought this into your life unless you were guilty of something. So why don't you confess whatever it is that you're hiding? And yet you read through that very interesting book and you realize that God, in his grace, allowed Job to experience tremendous loss and pain and suffering. And after all that he goes through, what we realize the fruit is that Job's own understanding of the nature of God has expanded. His own appreciation of his Savior, it fortified his faith. It strengthened his faith. And God's purposes and God's character grew tremendously as a result of what Job had endured. In John chapter 15, Jesus is talking about, uses this illustration of, of us as branches. Jesus is the vine. We are to abide in the Lord. And the Father is like the vine dresser. And there are times where for growth, God will prune things in our life. And the idea of pruning is to, you know, to cut things back, and it can be painful, it can be a, a, a traumatic experience. But again, the intention is for further growth, for greater fruitfulness in our life. And so was true for Job. It was for a greater revelation of the character of God and the goodness of God. It wasn't for correction. Now, there's also times where we experience pain and and it's just a part of life. The fact is that we live in a world that's been tainted by sin. And, and, and sin has corrupted creation. And as a result of what happened in the garden, death entered, and along with that, then disease and dysfunction and, and disasters and all the words that begin with D. <laughs> and, and it's wrong to think that, that all suffering or or difficulties that you and I experience in life are automatically some type of punishment from God. There's a scene recorded in John chapter 9. Jesus and the disciples are, are walking, and all of a sudden they see this man, and, the, and John tells us that he has, he's a blind man, and he had been born that way. He'd been born, you know, from his birth, he was blind. 
And even the disciples had this wrong idea. And so when they see him, they ask Jesus, they say, Teacher, this guy who's been born blind, who sinned? Was it him or his parents that he was born this way? See, they, they automatically wrongly assumed that because of sin, that this is why this guy you know, has this you know, defect. And we can make the same mistake at times. And Jesus responds, he corrects him, he says, No, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifested in him. And the idea, again, that God had a greater purpose for that in allowing these things. But there is, because there is sin in this fallen world, we, we experience pain and suffering and tragedy and hurts and, and disappointments and crime and disasters and disease, and, and, and none of us are immune to it. But in the Lord... We can see that also none of it is without a great purpose for the child of God. Now we add to that, yes, there are then times where the difficulties we experience and the suffering we experience and the pain we experience is because God is disciplining us, because we've drifted off course. We've been disobedient to what God has told us to do. And so it's not for revelation, but it's for correction. That we don't have our eyes on Jesus, but we begin to get our eyes on the world around us. That we're not following Christ as God has asked us to, but we're feeding our flesh. And we've gone off on our own. And so we've grieved the Spirit, we've quenched the Spirit, we begin to settle for cheap substitutes of the spiritual life. And so the author says, don't forget, in those times where you experience suffering, there are times where God puts you in a fix to fix you. <laughs> it's divine discipline. In one sense, he's saying, and remember, it's a thing that God brings this. And so he quotes from Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. And I like that he, you know, we, we see throughout this letter where he quotes the Old Testament. Once again, he's saying, it's just not, it's not my idea here. This isn't just something of my philosophy, my thoughts. This is biblical. The scriptures tell us that this is something that God does in our life. Maybe you've forgotten this. That God corrects you because he cares for you. There are times where you're corrected. It's because God cares for you. And here this exhortation from Proverbs 3 is twofold. There, there are two imperatives for us. One is don't despise when it happens. And the second is don't be discouraged. So don't despise it. Don't get bitter. Don't get salty. Don't get sour. Don't allow your heart to get hardened by it. You know, there's a saying that the same sunshine that softens wax can harden clay. And our heart can be like that. We can either allow it to get softened and, and humble ourselves before the Lord, or we can allow our heart to get hard as we respond to what God's doing. 
And if we allow our heart to get hard, it often becomes bitter. And then bitterness will lead to us, you or me, pulling away, withdrawing and isolating ourselves, which, by the way, the enemy loves when we do that. He loves when we go inward. And then we begin to shut others out, and eventually we begin to shut out the voice of the Lord. And so here the writer is reminding us, he doesn't want the reader, of course us as we're reading it, to misunderstand the purpose for punishment when God brings correction or, or chastisement. It's actually a good thing for us. And along with that, he says, don't be discouraged. You know, if we have the wrong view, if we have the wrong understanding of the nature of God, of God's love and his care for us, then we're going to have the wrong understanding of God's chastisement. And many people do. Right? They think that God must hate them. That God doesn't love me because of what I'm going through. Or God's not gracious to me. Or God's not good to me. That when, if we have the wrong view of God, we're going to have the wrong view of pain. We're going to have the wrong view of suffering when it comes into our life. And so that's why the writer takes this opportunity to say, listen, suffering and correction, at times, God brings it. It's actually a sign of God's care and his love for you. It's because God loves you. It's because God cares for you that he's going to discipline you. And so he develops this relationship between those two things, God's love and God's discipline. In fact, it reveals a relationship for us. And this is where he goes with that. He says in verse 7, if you endure the chastening, then you go through it. You're getting spiritually spanked. Well, God is dealing with you as his kids, as sons and daughters. And so it's the idea that God's discipline, in fact, is a display of our relationship with him. It's a designation. There's a relationship between there, and that relationship then demonstrates the relationship. For some of you parents, you, you ever have a stranger scold your kid? If some stranger begins to correct your kid usually we get a little protective, right? Like, you know, we take notice, like, what's going on? What's happened? Now, I, I personally am all in favor if my kid did something stupid. They ran in front of a car, they, you know, does something, and all of a sudden the driver stops and starts yelling at them. I'm like, yep, go for it. Like, dumb kid, yeah, you know. But if I'm there... And I see what they did, and, and I'm able to correct it, and I can take care of it. Then, then usually I, I want to be the one that's going to yell at my kid. Don't yell! I can yell at my own kid. Thank you. Right? I, I can discipline my kid. I got this. Why? Well, because discipline is related to relationship, right? D discipline is a designation of relationship. 
And so if, if my kids have a relationship with you, and I, you know, we know you, and so I, and I trust you to scold my kid. I mean, there's been even times where I've told my kids, hey, if you get out of line, uh, Mariko's son has been authorized to give you some pow-pows. And so here the writer reminds us, listen, God's correction in your life and mine, in many ways, it's a confirmation that you belong to him. That God's correction is confirmation that you're his kid. And so if you endure chastening, God deals with you. God is dealing with you as one of his kids. And then he asks the question, for what son is there whom a father doesn't chasten? Well, sadly, in today's world, we, we'd say, well, yeah, there, there are some. We couldn't necessarily answer this rhetorical question and affirm what the writer is saying. It's because of sin in the world that we know there are some sons and some kids who are not corrected by their parents, not corrected by their fathers or their guardians or their mothers. Now, the author's point is to draw a comparison from a normal family function from a normal family relationship. That a, a loving dad, a good dad who loves his kids is going to be a dad who disciplines his kids. That discipline is a, a form of love. And it's a sign of sonship. And he draws the parallel that if that is true in human families and normal families, then that's also true in the spiritual family. And so he wants to encourage them. Again, these things that they're going through, these difficulties. But then he adds another comparison. But if you don't have that, if you are without chastening, but then he adds, but all of us have become partakers. So if anybody finds themselves there, then he says, then you're illegitimate and you're not sons. If you're not experiencing God's discipline, then he's saying it's a sign that you're outside of a loving relationship with the Lord. There are different people who wrote what we have today as the book of Psalms. David wrote a good number of them. He's the sweet psalmist of Israel. But he didn't write all of them. There's another guy by the name of Asaph who wrote a few. And in Psalm 73, Asaph writes, and, I, and it's a psalm that I love. I, I feel like I can relate to it so well. He, he basically is sharing his struggle of how he's watching the world and he's watching wicked people who don't know God, who don't love God, and yet they're prospering. They got promoted. They won the lottery. They found a sweet deal on this house. They're driving this really nice donkey. Like, like they seem like their life is just trouble-free. They have all the nice stuff. And yet here they are, living in sin, 
angry at God, they can say anything, they can do anything, and it seems like they're just getting away with it. Like nothing's happening to them. Nothing bad ever befalls them. And, and so Asaph writes, he says, I, I, I struggled with this. I almost stumbled. He says, because for me, I'm getting, my paraphrase, I'm getting blasted every day. I'm getting corrected daily. I'm getting chastised daily, and it hurts. It's painful. And he's trying to figure out why. What's going on? And then he writes, then I realized I came into the house of the Lord, and, and, I, and he says, and I realized my experience, what's happening in my life, this being corrected is because I'm a child of God, and God cares for me, and God loves me, and, and God will deal with the wicked in his perfect timing. But the wicked's experience was not his because they were not children of God. And so here the writer says, if, if you seem like you're just skating through life and you got no, nothing's coming to you, then, then it, it, you better pause and check inventory, right, of your heart to see where you are with the Lord. Because his own conclusion is you're illegitimate and you're not a child of God. And then he adds furthermore, verse 9. So he's, he's adding on top of this, this premise that he keeps making. Well, furthermore, in addition to this, again, here's another contrast and comparison. We have had human fathers who corrected us. And, and because of that, we, we gave them respect. We paid them respect. You know, studies show that kids actually do better in life when they, uh, when parents, grandparents, people in authority enforce loving limits. When boundaries are established and expectations are communicated, children feel loved, they feel secured, and they flourish. And it provides an environment for even for the child to have freedom. And it teaches them then to have a healthy respect for authority. Yet I, I believe we are seeing a terrible erosion of respect for authority in our culture and the world today. And I do believe it's partly because the absence of a loving father figure in many homes. It's the adoption of unbiblical forms of correction and discipline. Discipline becomes maligned. And it's usually of one of two extremes. It's completely ignored. It's done away with. Just let the child self-correct and self-figure it out. Or it goes in the other way. It becomes harsh and abusive, verbally and physically and mentally abusive. And so you have kids that are neglected, left to govern themselves, or you have kids that are abused. Right? On one side, it's like Lord of the Flies in the streets and schools and society. 
and the other just, you know, obvious. And so <laughs> we need fathers who love and follow and serve Jesus. We need moms and dads and moms and <laughs> parents and aunties and uncles, you know, biblical, loving discipline. You know, we're thankful. We're thankful to you fathers. Not perfect, you're not perfect, but you're doing your best to lovingly raise and discipline and train up your kids in the way they should go. And here we see that, hey, that's deserving of respect and of honor. And praise the Lord for you dads. So so if we've had human dads who've corrected us and we give them respect and honor, who do it well, who do it biblically and lovingly, he says, shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? And so here's this, another contrast, a, a great reminder for us. As great as your earthly dad is or your mother is or was or whoever raised you, how much more our heavenly Father It's a reminder of our identity, again, that we belong to the Lord. Uh, the other day, a memory, you know, Facebook has these memories that pop up. And so it was a year ago, yesterday, which would have been a Sunday for us, it was my daughter, Rebecca, who uh, got to lead and worship from time to time. And, and so um, it was one of her, she wasn't here, actually, she was in uh, Calvary La Habra in California, and she you know, got to help out and uh, lead worship there. But I remember one of the first times where my kids got to serve and, and lead in worship. And, and, and one of the most beautiful things for me that I experienced as a father was to hear my own kids pray and worship their heavenly father and to express their own love to you know, God the Father. And it was just this sobering reminder that, that our kids are God's kids first. <laughs> they belong to the Lord first before they're even our kids. And it was this kind of weird, wonderful experience to, to worship the Father together with my kids praying to the Father and and, and leading us before the Father. You know, when, when your own kid brings you into the presence of the Lord, it's very humbling, it's very powerful. And here's a reminder then, uh, how much more then, as great as a dad or parent or mom that you might have had, how much more than for us is we have a heavenly Father. I also realize that some of us didn't have great experiences with our earthly dads. Or maybe we'd even characterize as a horrible relationship, or maybe you had none at all. Uh, This verse is a great comfort for us as well. Because it reminds us that we have a Heavenly Father who does love us, who does care for us, 
who does desire great things for us, and we can trust him completely. He is a, a father to the fatherless. And so we can live in obedience to him and surrender to his will, experience the fullness of life. He's the father of spirits and, and for us to live. Verse 10, he says, For indeed, for they indeed, speaking of earthly dads, for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But again, here's another contrast, but he for our profit. And so the next comparison he's making, again, he's just making this point, he's driving this point home for us. Our earthly parents did the best they could. But Human discipline is imperfect because humans are imperfect. <laughs> and so discipline is imperfect. It's subjective. And usually the, the, the decider is them. It's what's best for them. It's seen best to them. And so discipline from our, our parents, our earthly parents, is often imperfect. And we've experienced that as parents, and we've experienced that as kids. It's often imperfect because it's often altered by emotion. We don't intend to, right? It's not that we set out, but sometimes it's our emotion gets the best of us. And so we're responding then in anger, in frustration. We're disappointed. Sometimes it's even sinfulness of, of being selfish or, or jealousy becomes a factor. There's times where we don't know the right limit and so punishment doesn't fit the crime. Or even for some, the motive was wrong. The motive of discipline comes because now it's because it's out of embarrassment or just seeking to modify behavior, yet there's no real understanding of the heart or explaining the reason you know, to our child, or maybe your parent didn't explain it to you. And again, sadly for some, and maybe some of you, that is your experience. Out-of-bounds discipline, harsh discipline. And it went over the line of, of loving correction, and it went into abuse, and it went into neglect. And the reality is we carry those wounds, don't we? We, we carry those experiences with us, the, the wounds, and they can be very deep wounds of unloving words, of unkind words, of physical abuse. And, and all of it then becomes factors of then how we then discipline our own kids as parents. I think I've shared this with many of you, most of you. You know, my dad, my dad, I didn't have a great relationship with my own dad. My parents divorced when I was young, at 10. My dad got custody of me and my, my younger brother, but he was always gone. And so I was, we were like latchkey kids. Um, and my dad was a, he was a, I would say, a very hard disciplinarian. Just, yeah, not a, not a kind man. Uh, and, and I remember as a kid, you know, making simple mistakes. And my dad, uh, 
was just on me, quick, you know, like at a very short leash. And he had this particular look that he would give me when he was angry or disappointed, and, and, and it would cause me to shiver. Like, I remember as a kid, like, like all my dad had to do is a certain look, and, I, and I'd get this weird shiver. And, and I recall one time where I accidentally, you know, I was reaching, and I knocked over a glass of milk at the table, and, and you know, I looked quickly at my dad, and, and there was that look, just disappointment like right on the border of anger, I thought for sure like his hand was coming my way, you know. And so fast forward years later, I'm at the table with my own kids. And, and one of my kids, sorry, you know, knocks over oh, a glass of milk. I'm embarrassed. And I caught myself, right, initially responding like my dad. And in that moment, sorry, I was just disgusted with myself. Right? I was so disappointed in my, I was so embarrassed as I am right now. I had, I had vowed to never be like that. We're imperfect. And there are times where we, you know, we, we, we tend to model what we've experienced because we don't know any better. And, and yet here, here comes our loving Father. Here comes the gospel. And, and it becomes another area of our life where the gospel of Christ is transformative. Where whatever our experiences were and are, like, like, we can let them go. We can let go of the old and, the, and, and learn a new and better and loving way to do better. Man, if you had parents that loved you well and disciplined you well, guess what? You have a gift. You are blessed. Now, don't get me wrong. My, my dad was not a perfect man, and, and I learned a lot from him, but sadly, I, I would contend I learned a lot of what not to do, and, and who not to be. And so here the writer tells us, listen, they, they chastise as best, that seem best to them. And yet it's imperfect. But, here's the contrast, but God, verse 10, but God for our profit, for your gain, for your embitterment, that we would be partakers of his holiness. See, God is not like our earthly parents. He is perfect. And he loves you perfectly. And if he loves you perfectly, guess what? He corrects you perfectly. See, God knows the perfect amount of pressure. He, his, you know, he's precise in the pain that's prescribed. Never do we look up and say, is that all you got? <laughs> He knows the exact level of ouch that we can take and that we need. And added to that, God has perfect motives. God has perfect motives, and we're told in this statement. For our profit, that we would become partakers of his holiness. 
Gang, we need to understand that, that God's primary concern is our holiness. He's concerned with your holiness. See, God is holy, and he deserves, or excuse me, and then he desires, I should say, that we would be partakers then of his nature. That we too then would be holy. That, that the original Greek word there for holiness is the word hagios. And it means, in one sense it's simple, it just means to be set apart or it's, you're, it's separated. And, and that's what God, in many ways, what salvation can be characterized. It's, it's God who then calls us, who redeems us, who bought you, who purchased you by his, the blood of Christ. And... and, and and rescued us out of darkness and PCS'd us into the kingdom of light. We've been separated from the world, and God wants to separate us from our old sinful tendencies. We've been separated from the, the power and the penalty of sin. And so our lives are alive, a life to be separate then from the world and from our old ways. To be holy. And the Bible tells us when Jesus comes into your life, there is, if you will, this permanent positional transaction that takes place. And nothing changes that. You're His. You're saved. You belong to Jesus. Purchased, redeemed, rescued, adopted, forgiven all because of his blood and his body, the sacrifice that he made for you and for me when he died on a cross on a hill called Calvary. But we still contend with the flesh. We still have this old nature, this sinful nature that's in us. And it gravitates to the old life. It wants to default to the old ways, where we once walked, how we once lived, how we once thought, how we once talked desire or fulfilling the desires of our, our flesh. And so God by his spirit then brings us out of the world and then this fancy word called sanctification where he gets the world out of us. And God's primary concern then is our holiness. Not necessarily our happiness. Because God knows that we, okay, understand we are most fulfilled and we are most content. And thus, I would argue that we are most happy when we are walking in obedience to the Lord. That all that we think we're going to find in the old life, God has for us and so much better if we would just pursue Him. And so to be in sin is to be in misery for the child of God. One foot in the world and one foot in the Lord, there's, that's the most miserable place, place to be. Because we understand that only sin breaks fellowship. It creates separation from God. Yet God wants to separate us to Him. That's holiness. Okay, I'm going to say this in love. We, I cannot and you cannot, we cannot ex expect that God will bless our life 
if you and I are living in unrepentant sin. Well, there's grace. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds the more. Yes, it does. And guess what? You, can, you and I can even experience God's grace because that's his nature. But understand, though, that God's grace is also extended in the form of his correction. That because God loves you, and because God wants what's best for you and your marriage and your family and your walk with the Lord, God then will also do what he needs to to lovingly move you away from sin. And so thus we experience God's correction, his chastisement, his rebuke, his punishment. And it's all for our profit that we might be separated unto him. Verse 11 says, Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but it's painful. I read this verse, and I don't necessarily say amen, I say no duh. No one likes to get scolded. Right? No one likes to get rebuked or corrected, get pow-pows. You know, when I would get in trouble, never did I say, oh man, I can't wait to get home and get the belt. I can't wait till my mom chases me around with her flip-flops. Right? Pain in general, in general, <laughs> is not fun. And usually... It's not something that we are looking forward to. I realize there might be, you know, a good kind of pain, the pain of working out. We've talked about this before, that you guys experience, you know, your runners, you, you like that pain, something's wrong with you. But, but usually, pain is not something that we're like, yes, I like pain. Right? And we talked before, though, but pain, pain does train us. There are, there are some good, there, there are some redeemable qualities of pain. Think about pain. Pain often is that sign, right? It, it's, it's a feeling that God gives us in our bodies that something isn't right or something is dangerous. That thing hurts because it's hot or it's sharp. It can hurt you. It will hurt you if you continue. And so there's a a, 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 you know, a sensation of pain to get you to retract and stop and detour. Pain is a, a, a signal that something's not you know, functioning as it should. If you ever had a kidney stone, you know, right, that, man, that, that is painful. And that's a sign that something's not right. You got this little tiny shards of glass in your body, right? And yet what we realize, though, is that God uses this pain to train us. And it is used as a deterrent. You know, it's, suffering happens in our life, and it can be used for revelation, for growth. We get to see God in a greater way than we maybe wouldn't have if things are just always going great. God uses it as a form of correction, and God also uses it as a form of, of redirection. We're going in a way that God doesn't want us to go, and so He wants to deter us. He wants to redirect us in a different way so that we'll avoid 
further harm. And so God places these loving limits in our life, not to keep you from joy, not to keep you from blessing, but to keep you from harm, to keep you from blowing yourself up, from keeping you from destroying your marriage or your career, your witness. And so there are times where where boundaries do are then an extension of His care and His concern for us. And so if in my ignorance or my defiance I begin to cross that limit, God in His love responds and He uses pain, He uses difficulty, that becomes the deterrent to get me to stop, to get me to retreat, to get me to repent. And in that sense, it becomes a good thing. Well, it's painful in that moment, but it has a purpose. When Noah was two years old, we, Christy and I went out, Becca was a baby, so anyways, we went to Sam's Cafe and I I ordered one of those sizzling platter deals, right? The steak or hamburger, whatever was coming out on it. And so it comes out and it's still sizzling and smoking and and there Noah, too, like, you know, he's enamored with this. And we're like, hey, buddy, don't touch it. It's hot, hot. And so he goes to, you know, reach his hand. And, and so, you know, we smack his hand. Hey, no, it's hot. And he didn't like it. You know, he kind of pulled back and mad dogged us. And in that moment, that little slap, it wasn't joyful. He didn't like it. But, you know, it's minor compared to what he'd experience if he touches that sizzling plate. Some of you guys know the story. I've told it before. Well, Noah didn't stop. You know, I don't know, you know, our attention diverted for a second, and all of a sudden, it's just this kid screaming, and he's crying. He reached out, and sure enough, he touched the plate. And then I had to suffer through dinner, this kid screaming and crying, you know. (laughs) Poor kid. Well, it was the consequence that he suffered, but he had, it was a self-inflicted punishment. And there are times where we inflict punishment on ourselves. And yet God is so gracious, you know, he warns us. The Spirit of God will yellow card you. Right? It, it's, it's conviction, not condemnation. The Bible says, We're in Christ. There's no condemnation. The voice of the enemy would tell you, you're a failure, you're dumb, you you call yourself a Christian. It's this condemning voice. That's not the voice of God. But conviction's good. But the Spirit says, hey, don't do that. Or you need to go apologize. Or you've clicked too far. Or you've wandered too far. Or this thing's beginning to grow a root in your heart. It's the conviction of the Spirit. That's a good thing. That's God yellow carding you. But if we don't heed, and we cross that boundary, oftentimes the Lord says, okay, you become self-disciplined, right? You, You inflict the punishment upon yourself by what the fallout is. David experienced this. 
Peter experiences this. We experience this. It's not fun. It's painful. It hurts. Hopefully, we've learned from it. And here the writer says, and afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Because God loves you perfectly and his discipline is perfect. See, God's discipline is perfect then in perfecting us. It accomplishes what God desires for it in our life. We have to understand, though, that 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 is the motive of the Lord. That is the intention of the Lord. Maybe you've said, or you've heard, maybe your parents have said this phrase, right? This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. You ever heard that? Your parent ever tell you that? Or you ever say that? My dad never said that to me. (laughs) But maybe you've said that phrase, you've heard that phrase. I understand it. I understand it as a parent. I don't find enjoyment in punishing my kids. I don't enjoy yelling at them. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't enjoy having to discipline them. But I enjoy when they learn. I, I enjoy when they, you know, they don't do the same foolish thing again. Noah never touched a hot sizzling plate again. That, that was, that's joyful. Wisdom is gained, and knowledge and maturity and growth takes place. Right? It, it, yielded, it yields peace. It yields peace for you, and it yields peace for the people around you. And you think about parents, it yields peace for them, and it yields peace for us as parents. And what happens? It's this dynamic where then trust is gained and built. They understand then the the reason for the loving limits. Why we would say no. Why we would say, hey, don't do that. Don't touch that. Insight is gain and intentions, even if it doesn't make sense initially. And the same is true for our relationship with the Lord. There are times where we don't understand why God said no. Why God would say, I don't want you to have this or don't go this route. That God wants us to trust Him and understand His intentions are always for our good. That God desires the absolute best for you because you're His kid. That we might experience fruitfulness in our lives. To experience peace and the blessing of living for Him. That our relationship with God would be strengthened and deepened. And so because the Lord loves you, God will bring these times of correction. He has a purpose for pain. And sometimes it is corrective. And when that happens in your life, don't despise it. Don't get salty. Don't get bitter. Don't be discouraged. Remember that God's correction in your life, it's a confirmation that you're his kid. He loves you. That God loves you perfectly and he'll correct you perfectly. And his motive is perfect. His intention is that you and I would grow in holiness. And so there's times where he brings pain in your life to train you and to train me. And sometimes it's to deter us from further harm and greater damage. 
And when it comes in our life, understand that it's perfect in perfecting us. To bring us into peace, into righteousness, because God loves us. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. Sobering reminder of an expression of your love, and it comes in the way of being corrected. None of us like it. I know for me, it can be an affront, especially to my own pride and ego. Lord, help me to see and understand. Help all of us, Lord, to understand. It's because you love us, and you want what's best for us. And Lord, you can see. You have the perfect knowledge. We don't. And so there's times, Lord, where you'll tell us no. You'll tell us not yet. There's times, Lord, where you will bring things to light because we didn't. And so, Father, I pray that we wouldn't harden our hearts in these circumstances, but that we would yield to you, allow you to do what you want to do, or to remember, God, that you love us. Holiness is what you desire in us and for us. And in that is where we find our greatest contentment and even our happiness, to walk in obedience. So Lord, help us to live in subjection to you, our heavenly Father, and experience the fullness of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I pray that you have an amazing...